Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. There's only one road into Key West, but you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. Taste seafood fresh off the boat. Or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Welcome to Harvest Christian Center. I'm Dr. Foreman, and you're getting ready to hear an incredible message from God's Word. If this message speaks to you in a supernatural way like we believe it will, be sure to let us know at our website, harvestcc.me. If you're led to sow into the ministry of Harvest Christian Center, you can do so as well by visiting our website. Get ready to prepare your heart, mind, and spirit to receive this incredible Word that God has for you today. Remember, love God, love people, and love life. Let's go into the message already in progress. Good morning. Today, uh, I am excited uh, about where we're going to go today. Touch the neighbor, it's going to be good for you. Y'all ready for the word of God today? Listen, don't forget you can connect with me on Twitter. If you tweet me, I'll tweet you back and retweet your tweets. And uh, if you don't know nothing about tweeting, if you Facebook, we'll Facebook you back. If you don't know nothing about Facebook, you can YouTube us. Uh, you know, there's more stuff on there than a the lady talking about. Ain't nobody got time for that. There's more stuff on YouTube. And uh, don't forget, you can text us as well. Lift your Bibles high. We welcome those at all of our campuses today. Let's say our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. It gives me abundant life. I am not just a hearer of the word. I am a doer of the word. This word teaches me that I am more than a conqueror. My spirit and my mind are prepared to receive and apply the message that I am about to receive. Remain standing, if you would. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Next Sunday, of course, is the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so of all days, you, you want to be here. We thank God for all of you watching on the Internet campus for all the days you want to be here. You certainly want to be here next Sunday. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter uh, number 20 and get down to verse number 17. And when you have it, say, I have it. I have it. it says this, <coughs> you, now, 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 we're going to see who needs this word today. Uh, you will not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> Evidently, only 10 of y'all needed this word today. It, it says, it, it says, by the way, this is God talking. He said, you will not need to fight in this battle. He said, just position yourselves, be still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Judah means praise. He says, do not fear. Touch your neighbor and say, don't be scared or be dismayed. In fact, he says, tomorrow you go out against them for the Lord is with you. 
And Jehoshaphat, he was the king, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of praise and the inhabitants of the city of peace bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, these were the church workers of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites, which were the deacons, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices, how? Loud and high. So everybody that says, that's not my personality, well, I'm just trying to show you a little something, something right here. Verse 20, watch this. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O praise, and you inhabitants of peace. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, or his mouthpiece, or the man of God, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those that should sing to the Lord, and those who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army. No, you missed it. You missed it. They didn't send the fighters first. They sent the praisers first. Somebody's going to get this. They, they didn't send out the chariots first. They sent out the worshipers first. They, they didn't send out the guns first. They sent out their worship. I, uh, he says... <laughs> He says, and as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord because his mercy endures right here and right now. Somebody says, Bishop, what is mercy? Mercy is when God does not give you what you do deserve. While grace is when God gives you what you do not deserve. See, mercy is what has rewritten your life because can we be honest? Some of the things we've done and some of the ways we've lived, we should be dead and gone, sleeping in our grave. But mercy said, no. And grace said, I'm going to give them some time to get this thing together. He says, praise the Lord because his mercy's in doing. In other words, they were saying, we really do deserve to be defeated. See, that's what you misunderstand. They were saying, we really do deserve to lose this. We really do deserve to lose that car. We really do deserve to lose that house. We really do deserve to lose that. But his mercy, somebody shout mercy. (laughs) Now, when they began to sing, And to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. These were who had come against praise. (laughs) And they were, huh? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They didn't use no gun. Wait a minute. They didn't Facebook nothing bad about them. Wait a minute. They didn't tweet nothing crazy about them. Wait, wait, wait. wait a minute. They didn't have to pull their shank out their back pocket. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. wait a minute. They didn't have to go to human resources. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All they did was praise and worship the Lord. And the Lord set ambushes against them. 
See, if you ain't shouting, it's because you don't have no enemies. But for those of us in this place that have got some things that are coming against us, I dare you to just take 15 seconds and just shout in this place like you know that you know that you know what you just read. Watch this. Verse 23. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Wait, wait a minute. Them three was in cahoots. <laughs> Let me, I, some of y'all don't understand. Them three. Let me, uh, I'm talking like I'm from the side. Those three jab time suckers, they were working together against Judah. But now check out the verse. But the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the people of Mount Seir to utterly kill and to destroy them. No, you, you, you misunderstood this. Three of them came against them. But when they began to praise and worship, God turned two of them against the one. See, there's some stuff you're facing right now that you ain't even got to be worried about. Because God says, while they're trying to build a coalition against you, I'm getting ready to turn them against themselves. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. I'm going to let you sit down in a minute. I just need you to see this. Three of them come ready to fight. Then God says, you don't need to fight in this battle, Judah. Just do what you do, which is praise and worship me. Keep making me bigger than them. Then two of them turn on one of them. And when they kill one of them, then they turn on each other. Which means while they were standing up talking about no matter what it looks like, I'm going to praise him. God said, now watch me turn them all against one another. Watch me take your sickness and turn it against your financial lack and turn it against your financial problems and turn it against your generation. Bring my Shamir, the prophets in the house. Watch this. He said, he said, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You, you ever had people come against you in a united front? You ever had circumstances come against you in a united front? And you're sitting there trying to figure out, it seems like all of them are against me. But I got a secret for you. Tell somebody, say, I got a secret for you. What you don't understand Tell them what you don't understand. Tell them what you don't understand is that there are nine ways out of whatever you're dealing with. Tell them, tell them, say there are nine ways out of that mess. Nine ways out of that depression. Nine ways out of your issue. Speak in this house. We're ready in Jesus' name. Have to have somebody as you take your seats. Just tell them there are nine ways, nine ways. Some of you are wondering, Bishop, what is it that you just put on? Are you trying to stay warm? No, this is, this is called a shamir. It is the garment. Do you remember in the Bible the prophet Elijah uh, when he was getting caught up into heaven and he threw down, the Bible says, his mantle. Well, he was wearing what I'm wearing right now. It's called a shamir. Say shamir. 
what it represented is it represented that whenever something uh, that the prophet spoke, when that prophet had on his shamir, that that thing was being established in the earth. Now, some, some of you don't understand what that means. What I'm telling you is, is, Bishop, are you saying there's magical powers in the garment? No. What I'm saying is the garment represents a God that has all power. And so today, before we get out of this worship experience, there's going to be some stuff that we're going to decree about your life and decree about your family, and we're going to speak about your situation. And by the time some of y'all get home, some stuff's going to be worked out. And by the time some of y'all get to work tomorrow, some of that stuff's going to be worked out. And by the time you call your children next time, some of that stuff's going to be... Because somebody said there are nine ways out, nine ways out. For those of you be seated that follow us on Twitter and Facebook, you got a sneak peek uh, yesterday of what today's message was originally supposed to be. Today is often called Palm Sunday. It is the day where 2,000 years ago Jesus rode into Jerusalem, which literally means the city of peace, and he was riding on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which just simply says that your king is coming to you and he's going to be riding on a donkey. So Jesus came into the city riding on a donkey in order to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken of him. It was around the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or, uh, the Feast of Passover, and ultimately the day we call Easter, which is the Feast of First Fruits. Somebody's saying, Bishop, what in the world are you talking about? Just stay with me. It doesn't really matter. The title of it doesn't really matter. Just stay with me. Tell your neighbor, say, stay with him. Now, check this out. Through his actions, Jesus rides into the city on a donkey. And some of you, you may know the story from King's Kids. You may know the story uh, from when you grew up in church in Sunday school to where Jesus, uh, he goes and he sends some of his disciples and he says, go get uh, me a donkey from somebody and tell them if they ask you what you're doing with it, say, the Lord has need of it. And so Jesus goes and, or the disciples go and they bring this donkey to Jesus and Jesus gets on this donkey. Now, it's important to understand that in the Hebrew culture, a donkey was not a lowly animal. In fact, in the Hebrew culture, a donkey was like riding a Rolls Royce. You're not hearing what I'm saying. It was like riding a luxury automobile. Uh, so when Jesus rides into the city, he rides into the city in style. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me talk for my young people. I don't know if spinners are still hot now, but he had spinners and 22s and all of that. I mean, Jesus was coming in the city, bling, bling. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus was riding dirty. <laughs> it was kind of catching. They was trying to catch him. I'm just playing. I'm just messing. <laughs> Be honest. I don't even know what that means. So if I just said something offensive, then pray for him. Jesus rides into the city, and when he rides into the city, he was announcing, watch this, he was announcing to the people that he was king. Watch this. He was declaring himself king, which intentionally was confrontational against the religious leaders of the Jews of that time. And when Jesus begins to ride into the city, it's kind of like a scene from coming to America when King Joffrey Jafar is coming in and, you know, they had the jungle music playing. Come on, don't act like that. And y'all remember the rose petal ladies, how they throw the rose petal. When Jesus was riding to the city, it was like a scene from coming to America because people started taking their coats off and ladies started taking their jackets off and men started taking their coverings off and they would lay it down so that Jesus uh, could ride on top of that. It was the equivalent. It was the first time we ever saw uh, the concept of the red carpet uh, enter into our society because the people said, our king is coming. And so not only did they lay down their clothes, watch this, they also laid down palm trees and they began began to sing out of Psalm 118.26. They began to sing and say, blessed is he who, in the, who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Now, shortly thereafter, after Jesus rides into the city, uh, we see in John chapter 2, Jesus entering the temple with a whip that he built himself, driving out money changers and turning over tables. Y'all know about Jesus turning over tables. Matter of fact, that's the scripture some of y'all use when you get angry to justify what it is that you do when you're angry. You say, well, Jesus turned over tables. Y'all ain't going to say nothing over here. Okay, so y'all ain't saved this week. So maybe this section has got the juice this week. So Jesus, Jesus walks in there. He, he creates a whip. He makes it. Now, you got to imagine Jesus is God in the flesh. So you got to imagine how intricately and how well designed this whip is. I mean, this whip is bad. <laughs> Parents, for those of you that maybe grew up in a different generation, not, not our modern generation now, uh, but maybe a couple of generations ago, maybe even just one ago, you, you remember that there was a preferred instrument of discipline that your parent had. Y'all don't. There was a preferred instrument. And so while there were 12 belts that were available, they would get the thick one. Okay, y'all, I know y'all don't know nothing about that in Denver because y'all use time out here. But where I'm from, one knows this thing, no time out. It was <laughs> take the time to go get that switch from out there. Time out. I'm not endorsing anything illegal. Check this out. Jesus builds a whip and watch this. He begins to drive out the money changers and those uh, that were in there because they were doing business and they were selling uh, doves. And Jesus begins to flip over the tables. And this is an often misinterpreted passage of scripture uh, because people see this as saying, well, see, Jesus didn't that one commerce going on in the church. Quite the contrary. What was happening is it was normal for there to be money changers in the temple during the feast of the Passover because as people were coming from different countries, they needed to have their money converted to the money of the city of Jerusalem. So this was not something that was abnormal, nor was it unusual. The people that were selling doves, they were not trying to sell the Holy Ghost. What they were doing is that they were selling doves to families, particular single mothers that could not afford to buy the more expensive sacrifices that needed to be offered on the day of Passover. They couldn't afford a lamb. They couldn't afford a goat. They, so what they would do is sell doves, which was a cheap substitute. So watch this. What Jesus was doing when he goes in and he gets this whip what Jesus was really doing was being intentionally confrontational. Touch your neighbor and say, stay with Bishop. He was being intentionally confrontational uh, because he wanted to disrupt their commerce. Because if there's any way to find out how a person really is, mess with their money. Uh, please understand, I know you're real Christian and you're real saved today. But if you go to your job on Friday and they tell you we ain't got it, all of a sudden, all of your Christianity and all of your salvation is going to be tested right there and there. I wish y'all be honest with me. If you go and they're like, listen, we'll get you next week. You're going to be like, no, no, wait a minute now. Next week, no, no, we got to sell something. Sell them computers, get them desks together, rip, rip that thing out. No, y'all going to have my money. Watch this. So Jesus, he interrupted their money so that he could be intentionally confrontational. Watch this. Uh, he wanted to do this so he could confront the error of the people. And today, what I was originally supposed to teach you was about handling conflict, disagreement, and confrontations. And to show you how sometimes you need to be intentionally confrontational with the things that you are intentionally running away from. Because the things that you are intentionally running away from are the things that have conquered you. What you will not confront has already conquered you. So we were going to talk about that. But then God called an audible. Say an audible. Instead, where we're going to go today is to learn the power of what the people did when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Watch this. The palm branch was a symbol of triumph and victory in the Roman culture. And it became, watch this, the most common attribute of the goddess Nike. 
or victory. Take this out. So when, when there's palm trees now that they're laying, because remember I told you they laid their cloaks and they, they, they laid their clothes down so that Jesus could have his first red carpet experience on his luxury automobile. Well, what they begin to do is the people begin to lay down palm trees. That's why the day is called Palm Sunday. So they lay down the palm trees so that Jesus had something to ride on top of. But it was more than just putting down a leaf on a tree. What it was doing is it was signifying something that meant victory. Check this out. The palm branch, it was a symbol of triumph, of victory, and it was a common attribute, as I've said, with the goddess Nike. Now, you understand, Nike, uh, the Greek word there, Nikeo, which is where we get the word Nike, which translates just like Nike says, just do it. You missed it. So, when they were laying down the palm trees, what they were saying is, Jesus, give us the victory. And not only give us the victory, but you're the God of victory. And, and we know it's going to hurt a little bit what you have to go through, but shh, just do it. Today, for you and I, does not just represent another Christian holiday or another something that we say is some spiritual or religious feast or festival. What we're saying is, is Jesus, thank you for giving us the victory. And because you gave us the victory, give us the ability to shh, just do it. Are you still with me? I said, are you still with me? Watch this. So when he rode in, I want to make this clear. He was really telling the people that not only did he have the victory, but also all of those who believed in him would also share in that victory. Now watch this. Victory does not mean much to you unless you've had some battles. I think uh, I just need to ask and check the room I'm in. Have you ever faced an enemy? Is there anybody in here that you've ever had a deck stacked against you? Is there anybody in here where you've ever had a circumstance that if God didn't step in and change it, it wouldn't get changed? Have you ever had a problem where you simply could not find your way out? I'm here to tell you that whenever you face any of those issues, what this day represents is that the palm trees have been laid. And what this represents is no matter what it looks like, baby, all you got to do is just do it. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Whenever you face any issues, you don't just have one way out. You have nine of them. <laughs> Truth is, is you actually have more than nine, but that's all I got time for today. So today you're going to find out about the nine you have. Say, I have nine ways out. Now, for just a moment before I get into this, for just a moment, I want you to just think about whatever it is that you, you're in that you're trying to get out of. I want you to think about that issue. I want you to think about that problem. I want you to think about that circumstance. I want you to think about that depression. I want you to think about that not knowing what to do because you got an unexpected notice. I, I, I want you to think about that situation. Now say, I have nine ways out of this. Touch your neighbor. Say, you have nine ways out of this. Now, before we get to those, the passage that we read when we started in 2 Chronicles 20 and, uh, was about a king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. Now, he gets word that there are three large multitudes of people that are coming against him, and they're from three specific places. Can I teach you for just a moment? Those three places were from, the first was called Ammon, A-M-M-O-N, Ammon. Uh, here's what's interesting about Ammon. When you read the Bible, you cannot just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible, uh, which means you have to read it in. You have to read it out. Everything that appears in the scripture, while it has a very natural meaning, it also has a very supernatural meaning that's hidden beyond the black and white of the text, which means, what are you trying to say, Bishop? The word Ammon in Hebrew means people. 
So the first group they had against them was people. You ever had people align themselves against you to where their whole mission and motive is to just destroy whatever they can destroy about you? Have you ever had people that just didn't like you and you could not quantify nor articulate the reason why they did not like you, but when they saw you, they just had a grimace on their face and you're trying to figure out what in the world have I ever done to you? I've not done anything to you. It's because you don't understand you're dealing with Ammon. That's just people. The second group that was against them, y'all still with me, was this group uh, from Moab, M-O-A-A-B, M-O-A-B, Moab. Moab is the Hebrew word, it's a compound word, it means from their fathers. (laughs) So not only do they have people against them, check this out, they got generational curses What is a curse? A curse is an empowerment to fail. I got an interesting, uh, uh, asked the bishop this past Wednesday, I've already responded to, on Wednesday saying they were watching with their parent and their parents said generational curses don't exist. So I gave them the scriptures to show them that. But I said, you don't even have to read the Bible to see generational curses. Just look at your family. You ain't got to know the Bible. Bishop, what's a generational curse? Something that's passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And the scripture says that it would be passed to the third and fourth generations, which means the stuff you're dealing with is not you 32, but it ain't that old. You may be 45, but it's a little bit older than that. The stuff you're dealing with is hundreds of years old from people that you've not even met. That is the reason why you can wake up one morning and say, I don't know why I like this or why I'm attracted to that or why I want to do this or why I want to do that. It's because in your bloodline, somebody opened the gate way for and now you're dealing with up to 400 years of history you don't even have to read the bible to understand that just look at your family look at your cousin them look at how everybody's made the same mistake look at the marital dysfunction of everybody that y'all ain't saying nothing you don't even have to read the bible to see it working it's an empowerment to fail so check this out not only do they have people hating them without a reason or a cause But now they're dealing with generational stuff. But then they had a third group against them. The third group was this group from this region called Mount Seir. S-E-I-R. Check this out. Mount Seir was one of the places when the children of Israel, you remember how when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they came out rich one night. uh, They were slaves on Sunday. But by, by Monday morning, the Bible says they had plundered the Egyptians. And, and you remember this because next week, Sunday night, once you finish eating your Easter dinner, ABC is going to have the Ten Commandments on. <laughs> now, I never understood that because the Ten Commandments have nothing to do with Easter, but it's just their way of, I guess, paying some kind of homage to God, which is cool. I'm cool with it. Check this out. And you'll see it. You'll see it. The children of Israel, and one night they leave, they were slaves. And then one night they leave out and they're rich. But here's one of the things they did. For 40 years, the children of Israel, they walked around the same mountain. Do you want to know what the name of that mountain is? Mount Seir. Bishop, what are you trying to say? Not only do they have people who are against them without a cause, but now they've got generational curses and generational dysfunction that's trying to catch up with them. But now they're past. 
Now the stuff that they thought they had conquered and the stuff that they thought they'd never have to deal with again, now their past is coming and trying to grab them and pull them back. And King Jehoshaphat, once he realizes that he's got the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people from Mount Seir, he gets scared. And he gets scared just like any one of us would get scared. And you know what he does? The Bible says that he fasts and he prays. And he calls the nation together to pray. He says to the Lord, are you not God? Are you not so powerful that no one is able to withstand you? And the truth is when he prayed to God, I don't think that his prayer was as much to God as it, much, as it was to remind himself of who his God was. See, sometimes some of the things that you deal with are not necessarily for God. Sometimes it's just to remind you about who your God is. Sometimes the prayers that we pray are not necessarily so much for God as they are much just for us to get an understanding of who is the God that we serve. Because sometimes when you're in the middle of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people from Mount Seir, sometimes you can think to yourself and you can forget who your God is. But every now and again, you just have to remind yourself that we serve the God that created all that is and all that will ever be. We serve the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We, we serve the God that can do anything but fail. We serve the God of the impossible. We serve a God that can do miracles. We serve that kind of a God. And so he says to the Lord, he says, Lord, no matter what happens, we will stand in your presence and cry out to you and you will hear us and you will save us. He was saying, Lord, no matter what, I'm not stop coming to church. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to stop giving. He said, I don't care what mistakes I make. Watch me sit right up there with my mistake making self and say, well, thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. You ought to look at your neighbor and say, you don't have it all together. Tell him. And tell him and say, neither do I. Uh-huh, but no matter what I deal with, I'm going to keep being in church. I'm going to keep worshiping God. I'm not going to turn my back. No matter what happens to me, I will So, 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 so. So he says, no matter what happens, God, we're going to stand in your presence. I'm going to cry out to you. But then he takes an interesting twist in his prayer. Then he sort of is reminded of the fact that while he's having this great interaction with God, he's reminded of the fact that he's got all these problems over there. And then he says to God, he says, but God, question, will you not judge them? H have you ever, this is between me and you, have you ever you know, said, God, now, I'm not saying you got to hurt them. Y'all ain't going to be honest with me. God, I'm not saying you got to hurt them. But really? OMJ, IJS. I'm saying, I mean, they ain't got to get in a car wreck or nothing. I'm just saying. Can you just shake them up real good? I mean, just. Y'all ain't going to be honest with me? Okay. I know you don't do that. You're real spiritual, but that neighbor of yours, ooh, they be getting mad. So, so Jehoshaphat, he's having this real spiritual moment, and then all of a sudden he's like, but God, but just, just wait a minute, though. But will you not get them? He says, because we're clearly less powerful than they are. He says, so will you not help me? Have you ever felt like you're doing it all by yourself? 
And that while you know he's there, you just don't feel like he's helping you. Oh, nobody's ever felt like that. Nobody's ever, okay, all right. For the four of you that have felt that way, did you understand? That's what Jehoshaphat was dealing with. He was saying, God, I know you're there. It just doesn't feel like you're helping me. Because why you even let him get that close to me? But then he ends it. He ends it. He's like David. He's having an up and down moment. He's going up and down. He ends it. And then he says, but I tell you what, God, no matter what happens, our eyes are on you. And when you move, we're going to move just like that. And while they're praying, God speaks a promise to the people. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Can I show you to you for just a moment? We're almost through. He says, and he said, listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be scared. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to look at yourself and say, I ain't never scared. I know that's not proper English. That's, that's the whole point. He says, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for this battle is not yours. He said, I know they're too powerful for you. That's the point. But they're not too powerful for me. God says, I know you don't know what to do. That's the whole point. I want you to learn how to lean on me. That's why in the old church, they used to songs like, we've come this far by faith. How? Leaning on the Lord and trusted in his hope. God's well aware that it's too big for you. He's well aware of that. That's the point. He's well aware that you don't know what to do. That's the point. See, some of you feel like he's, he's not helping you. It, it's because you're trying to solve and fix a problem that's above your pay grade. This battle is not yours. This battle. I, I just need the people that are in the middle of a battle right now. I just need those of you. It ain't everybody, but those of you that are in the middle of a battle right now. Somebody just say, this battle. Uh -huh. This battle is not yours. It's not even yours. It's God's. Some of you are dealing with custody issues. It's not even your problem. It's above your pay grade. This battle is not yours. Watch this. Here he says, verse 16. He says, tomorrow, we read this partially, go down against them. They're going to show come up against you. And I'll tell you exactly where to find them. At the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jurel. But look, verse 17, we looked at it. But you're not going to need to fight in this one. See, why this message is so important is because he didn't say every battle is going to be like this. Because there's some battles you're going to have to fight. This just is a prophetic word for those that are under the sound of my voice today. This battle, you're not going to have to fight. Just your neighbor say, it's not everyone that's like this. It's just this one. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of 
the Lord. So watch this. They position themselves to win through their praise and through their worship. Uh, hear me. There are some battles that we face in life that God wants us to use a weapon that does not make any sense. Uh, since somebody talked about you, the weapon that your flesh wants to use is to talk about them. Uh, a weapon that doesn't make any sense is to pray for them. Uh, because somebody uh, said some nasty things about you, the weapon that you naturally want to use is to retaliate and say some nasty things about them. Because somebody reveals something about you, the natural thing is to reveal something about them. But there are certain situations you face in life where God says, I'm not interested in you using a natural weapon. I'm interested in you using a weapon that does not make sense. For we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't make any sense. You mean to tell me I got all these people against me and you want me to clap? <laughs> you, you mean to tell me I got more bills than money and you want me to shout? You, you mean to tell me my body needs to be healed and you want me to dance? It, it doesn't make any sense, but somebody shout, this battle. You want me to praise you and I haven't even been able to get a call back from sending my resume out to jobs that I know that I'm overqualified for and you want me to sit, shout? <sighs> this may seem weird or crazy to you because you're trying to understand why something like praise and worship is a weapon. That makes any sense. You will not fight this battle. Just go sing. What? <laughs> Come on, can we be honest? Especially men. Come on, fellas, because, you know, we're ready to fight in a minute. You know, we're... Oh, don't y'all look at me like that. I know they make them a little different in Denver, but where they make us from, where I come from, we, we come out ready to fight. You understand? We come out. What's, let's go. What's happening? What's going on? All my life. <laughs> we, we come out ready to fight. You understand? So, fellas, we're, we're, that's our natural nature. You know, we're lions. We're Mufasa. Rah, you know, come on, what? That, that's why when somebody says something to you, you know, you're, is there a problem? Can I tell on myself real quick? Okay, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't. No, I'm not doing it. No, no, I ain't going to do it. Yesterday, I was, I was in a parking lot. And uh, I was just driving the parking lot trying to find my parking spot because I needed to go in and handle some business. And I was driving and I was on the phone. I'm always on the phone because I'm always handling business. <laughs> Kingdom business, you understand. I was talking to a pastor and just helping him with some stuff. And I was on the phone. And as I was driving, I was driving real nice and slow, you know, because it's slushy. You know, and it's icy. I'm just talking about me. I know you're real spiritual. So would you pray for your bishop after this, please? And so then this fella walks by me, and I have my speaker on, you know, and uh, I'm on the right side of the street, and this fella walks, and he stops and turns and shakes his head like this here. <laughs> now, I wish I could report to you that I said to the pastor on the phone with me, man of God, just, just, oof, some folks, that ain't what I did. Please pray for me. Now, I don't normally do this because I like to be peaceful, you know. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So, I like to be peaceful. But every now and then, 
you just need to mind your business. Just mind your business. Just because I don't know why you're looking all up and what's going on in here. So just, and so, and so, I'm telling you to pray for me. And so, I don't normally do this. Because, you know, folk crazy today. I don't normally do this. No, I just say, oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, the Lord will talk to you about that. But you know what I did? I don't know how to do this. I let the window down. Oh, God. See, y'all going to judge me. I, and, I, and I said, God bless you, brother. That's what I said. I let the window down. And I said, hold on, Bishop. Excuse me? Is there a problem? Because I just, what, what do you, what's, the, what's the problem? And he said to me, he said, he said, don't you think you're driving a little too fast? I said, not at all. I said, but I needed to figure out what the, what the dismay on your face was about so that as a kind citizen, I could help you to fix it. I said, so I appreciate your concern. But you're way over here. Now, I don't know why some of y'all always like to be starting something. Stretch your hands towards me, Father. I don't normally do that. But yesterday, you know. Sometimes the spirit of Dr. King rises up, and I just, I'll march on you in a minute, don't you? Okay. See, y'all are judging me. I, I feel the judgment. Y'all are going to send all kind of crazy emails. No, no, I ended it positively. But yesterday, I was handling business far away from this fella. I did not understand why he thought it to be the appropriate time to look at me with a look of disgust when I didn't have nothing to do with what was going on. Now, some of y'all saying, Bishop, you shouldn't have did that. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. You mind your business. And I'll mind mine. I normally don't do that. I'm making a point that fellas sometimes... Sometimes our inner lion, men, please don't leave me hanging. Sometimes our inner, and so you have to, you have to, you have to pull it back. You gotta, and that's where the Holy Ghost will come in and say, and I prayed for the fellow. Amen. Let's move on because too much judgment in the room. Let's move on. <laughs> Shouldn't have said nothing. <laughs> Somebody said, Bishop, I don't understand how praise and worship, how that's a weapon. Let me make it really simple for you. It's no different than when you go to a concert. Anybody like a good concert? It's okay. You can be honest. I, you can be honest. You can be honest. 
I know you went to see the Mighty Clouds of Joy and the Jackson Southern Airs. I know, I know that's who you went to go see. Something like, we don't know who those are. Those old gospel acts, old gospel acts. Now check this out, check this out. At a concert, what do they ask you to do? Throw your hands in the air. Wave them. What else they tell you to do? Clap your hands. What else they tell you to do? Huh? Stand up. What else they tell you to do? Stomp. What else they tell you to do? Scream. Everybody scream. Okay, so. They tell you to do that. What else do they do? What else do they do? At country concerts, they have your line dance. They have your boot scooting boogie. What else? Huh? Shout. They'll have you put your lighter up. Put your phone up. Don't be at a Pris concert because you'll mess around and get saved. Tell my yes, purple rain. Hey, go with purple rain. Rain on me, Jesus. Rain, purple, purple. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, so, <laughs> Here's the point I'm making, because you're going to remember this. Here's the point I'm making. All of the things they're having you to do, you do why? Set an atmosphere? Why else? Huh? Get height. Here's the reason you do that. Because you're celebrating, watch this, who they are and what they've done in anticipation of them doing more of it. So, so, the, artist, so the artist will say, so the artist will say, listen, everybody shout, everybody scream, and you'll scream. And then they'll walk off the stage, and then the people start, encore, encore. And they want you to come back on the stage, and you'll run back on the stage and do one more song. Because you're celebrating who they are and what they've done in anticipation of them doing more. So if you can do that for little this and little that out there, how is it that you cannot do it for the God of the heavens and the God of the earth and the God that saves you and the God that's... You'll make a fool of yourself at a concert. TMZ has photos of you from the last concert you went to before you gave your life to Jesus. You know why you'll make a fool of yourself? Because in that moment, the only thing that matters is who they are, what they've done, and that you anticipate them doing more of it. It is the same principle when it comes to praise and it, when it comes to worship. That's why Isaiah 61.3 calls, uh, tells us to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, which means we praise and we worship God to respond to heaviness. We don't do it because we always feel like it. Sometimes we do it because we don't feel like it. And hear me, the people, those of you that are in here that are dealing with the most hell in your life ought to be the most radical worshipers that are in this place because when we praise and worship, it's not emotionalism. In fact, we do it to alter our emotions. Because our emotions are saying you should be sad, you should be depressed, you should be defeated, you should be keeping your head down. But when we begin to praise and worship God, all of a sudden things begin to move and things begin to change and things begin to shift. Yes. 
Watch this. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Watch this. Watch this. He said to the man of God, he said to Jehoshaphat, and he said, he said to the people, he said, this is not your battle. So put your earthly weapons down. Put your anger down. Yesterday, yesterday, that wasn't a big deal, but yesterday, had I let it go somewhere it didn't need to go, which that wasn't even the point, but had I let it do that, you know, you can get all kind of weapons, your anger and your frustration and your wrath to where your anger turns into hot anger, which becomes wrath. Lay those weapons down, he was saying, and he said, position yourself. Touch your neighbor, say, throw it down, your natural weapons. And position yourself. Bishop, 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 now remember this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Uh, say position. Before I've taught you uh, the, primary, uh, the seven primary positions of praise and worship. But today I want to introduce to you two new ways. And I'm giving you the Hebrew words. And I give you that you understand. Because these were the uh, words that we see in our Old Testament for praise and worship. So today we see the words praise and worship. And those are the only two English words that we see. But the truth is, is that in origin there were several words that were used for praise and worship. That have different meanings that accomplish different things. Now if y'all will help me ride Tonto on out of here. We'll close this thing together. Can we ride this thing out together? Say position myself. Now watch this. I, I, I call these ways out because sometimes the only way out of your battle into victory is through your praise and worship. That's why they used to sing songs like praise your way through. Y'all remember that? That they would tell you to, oh God, y'all don't remember that. I forgot what city I'm in. Praise your way through was an old hymn that they used to sing where, where, when they didn't know what else to say. They just say, I'm going to praise my way through. I'm going to praise, oh God. Sunday school starts next week at 7 a.m. sharp. I'm joking. Watch this. Say, I have nine ways out. See, this battle that you're dealing with right now, God says there's not just one way of escape. There's nine of them. Some of you may be here for the first time and you're like, okay, battles, Hebrew words, all this. What are you saying? I guarantee you're dealing with something. That's what brought you here today. See, the reason you're in here today is because you got some battles you're dealing with out there. And so the word for you today is you thought, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. God says, I got an answer for you. You got nine ways to get out of this situation. So I have nine ways out. The first way, the first way, the first way is the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A-H. I've taught you these before. It means to worship with an extended hand or to give. To worship with an extended hand or to give. So somebody says, Bishop, why do we lift our hands? Why do they say lift your hands? Because my hands be getting tired. What you don't understand is, is you are yadaing the Lord. What you're saying is, God, I am offering you praise and worship through the lifting of my hands. And I am giving you something. Namely, I'm giving you a surrender. If you've ever been caught, and I know you haven't, but you've seen it on, on bad boy or cops. I know you've seen it on cops. You haven't been there, but you've seen it on cops. But they'll tell the bad guy, they'll tell him, listen, come out with your hands up. In other words, they said, we want to know from the moment we see you that you're totally surrendered. Because if you're not surrendered, this is going to have to go a lot worse than what it could go. So when we lift our hands, what we're doing is saying, God, I totally surrender to you. Which means you're not going to have to take it from me. Involuntarily. <laughs> Yada. Extend your hands. 
Now, uh, now, now co connected to that, it literally means to give, to extend your hand to give, to extend your hand to give. See, the only time we should be looking down on people is when we are extending our hands to give them a lift up. I know you're doing real good now, but there was a day where you were in that same situation that you're looking at other folk now. And don't you get too high on your horse now. To the second way. How many ways out you got? So that's the first way out. Just come out the house with your hands up. Put them up. There it is. Watch this second way. Toda, T-O-W-D-A-H for my note takers. It means, watch this. It means I am lifting my hands, watch this, for things not yet received as well as things already in hand. This is what he mean. Yada is like this. Toda is like this. This is what's the difference. I am not only giving God something, but I am also expecting to receive something in return. Expectancy. That's why when you come to church and you've prayed and you say, God, I need these answers. God, I need these answers. And you come into church. Isn't it funny how you get the answers you need? It says, God, I am extending and giving something to you while simultaneously receiving something from you. Which means as I give up my worship, I receive your promise. When I give up my issue, I receive your solution. When I give up my depression, I receive your decree. When I give up. Then the third way, Hallel, H-A-L-A-L. We're almost through. Y'all with me? Hallel, this is where we get the word hallelujah. Uh, which means, watch this, to rave, to celebrate, and to be clamorously foolish. Now, some of you said, Bishop, it's not my personality to be very outgoing in my worship. I've got my MBA from the NBA and I've got my PPC from OPP. And that's not my nature. I prefer a church where it's a little bit more civilized. The frozen chosen. It doesn't take all of that. Those people are just too radical. They're just too emotional. I prefer to internalize my worship. God knows what's going on in me. <laughs> he knows you're full of something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listen, praise and worship is not about how you feel. That's why it's a garment. You put it on. <laughs> you ever put on sweats, but you feel like a million bucks? You ever feel like a million bucks and not have on an outfit that costs a million bucks? You put on what it is that you want on. So, so that's why Isaiah 61.3, it says, to console those who mourn in Zion, or Zion, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they be called the trees of righteousness. In other words, I put it on. Say, I put it on. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm being disingenuous about it. It just means that I put it on. Like a garment. Same way I put this on, I put on praise and worship. Now, check this out. Hallel, it means, watch this, to rave. 
Any, any people used to be ravers in here or kills currently ravers? Now I can be honest. Y'all know ravers. They had them little glow sticks and they turn around. <laughs> Come on now. Don't y'all act like y'all. Y'all, when it snows, y'all act something else. Can't wait till it's springtime and it's stuff all this snow so y'all quit acting brand new. Y'all have seen ravers. They take the glow sticks and they, they twirl them. Whatever. Okay. It says to rave, to celebrate, or to be clamorously foolish. Here's what this means. It means that this is a kind of praise and worship that's radical. It's the sacrifice of praise and worship. This is where you get to the place to where you don't care who's around you. You don't care what they think. You don't care how they, in fact, if they got a problem with it, you often offer them to switch seats with somebody else because you're saying, my God's been so good to me. Watch me act like a clamorous fool. Watch me shout. Watch me jump. Watch me move because you don't have my breakthrough. You don't have my miracle. You don't have my solution. And since you don't have it, I need to praise the God that does have it. Which means when praise and worship starts, I don't know why this altar isn't packed full of people who are saying, God, I want to hallel you. I want to be clamorously foolish. I want to celebrate you. God, if that means I got to get out of my natural personality, then I'll step out of my natural personality. The more radical your praise and worship, the more radical your rescue. Now watch this, radical is relative to you because if you, if you are, and I'm not being uh, critical, but if you are a more reserved person, that's cool. If you're a more reserved person, that's cool. So y'all shout and stuff, y'all listen to the teaching. When I'm listening, when I'm listening, when we have guests and stuff like that preach, if you ever, you know, pay attention, I, I normally am somewhat cerebral. So I'm listening, I'm taking notes, and every now and then I'll just pop up on you. Now, now, now watch this. Here's the point I'm making. Here's the point I'm making. Radical is relative to you. So if you're the person that comes in and you normally don't clap and you start clapping, well, for you, you got radical. So what I'm saying is, is to those that are already on radical number 11, don't judge the people who are on radical number one. Because radical is relative. You follow what I'm saying? See, just like, just like in sports. See, in our city, people like to ski. To me, that's too radical. My intention on going to a mountain is to stay up on it. That's just my intention. So if I ever went skiing, you know, even on like the kiddie slope, that's radical for me. Are you getting the point that I'm making? Now, now watch this, watch this. The next is Shabak. I got to move quickly. Shabak, S-H-A-B-A-C-H. This literally means shout. Now, here's what's interesting about shouting. Shouting, uh, what we do and we shout today, it comes from this Hebrew concept of when they would blow the shafar or the ram's horn. And they would blow the ram's horn when they were trying to announce to the people that order has come. And then when the ram's horn would blow, everybody had to stop what they were doing and everybody had to come to order. See, when you shout, you're just not shouting, but now you've been taught so you can shout with an understanding. When you shout, literally what you're saying is everything in my life that's out of order, every situation in my life that's not in the proper order, if your finances are out of order, when you shout, you're saying... If your family's out of order, when you shout, you're saying, if your kids are raising hell, when you shout, you're saying, come to order. 
The next word, the next word, I got to move. My goodness, I got to move. The next word is Barak, spelled just like our president's name minus the C. This means, watch this, to kneel down. Watch this, to receive the blessing. Literally, this word Barak means to kneel down to receive a spoken blessing as if from a father to a son. So generically, the word Barak means bless. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. When we come into worship and praise, when we, when we kneel down before the Lord, we're not just kneeling to do some kind of formality so that it looks real deep and spiritual. We're kneeling and saying, God, while I'm in your presence, speak the blessing over me. The blessing is the empowerment to prosper, to do well, to be made whole. When we kneel down, what we're literally saying is, God, brock me. Speak the blessing over me. Affirm me. Confirm me. Give me identity. Give me purpose. Give me reason. Give me the brock. President blessing Obama. Literally, that's literally what the name means. Literally what the name means. Next word, next word. I got to move. Zamar. Zamar, Z-A-M-A-R. This means to worship with instruments. Now, you may not have a little instrument that you can play, but you do have an instrument. Uh, they're called your hands. Uh-huh. And, and you can clap your hands because they become an instrument. And you may not have an instrument that you can play, but you do have an instrument. Some are better than others. It's called your voice. And so that's why the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord because he didn't, it, it just had to be joyful. It didn't say that it was on pitch. So some of you say, well, I don't sing because I can't sing. You're missing the point. Just, just make it noise. Just make sure you're happy while you're doing it. Just make it joyful. Which means if you are in the key of Z minor, which does not exist, you keep on singing. And if the person looks at you and like, that is not the right note, then you look back and say, it's a joyful noise, though, ain't it? Mind your business. So you got to go out, mind your business. The next word, I got to move. I got to move because then I'm going to just shout myself out of the church in just a moment. Here it is. It is the word alaz, A-L-A-Z. That's new. I've never taught that one before. It literally means to jump for joy. It literally means to jump for joy. The imagery of that word in Hebrew literally means to spin like you're spinning out of control and jump. So spin and jump. See, this is where all the original dance moves came from. They came from the Bible. All this cha-cha and all this here. And what's the other one? The, uh, the Cupid one, the, all this here. All that came from the Bible. To the left, to the all they was doing. They was doing the next word, karar. K-A-R-A-R. Now, if you're from the country, they say kara. <laughs> it is kara. Watch this. It means to dance. Now, it didn't say you had to dance well. Because, see, especially two fellas, sometimes you're like, you know, especially if you're not the dancing type. Uh, and even some ladies, you're the dancing type. So, you know, you just kind of just. And that's, you know, you know. Because you don't want to, you don't want to really bust out and you know start calling it on them. You know what I'm saying? So you don't really want to bust out. So, 
It didn't say, here's the point I'm trying to get you to see, y'all. It didn't say it had to be skillful or well. It just said that we had to do it. Because we've got nine ways out. See, you can lift your hands out. You can give your way out. You can shout your way out. Or you can dance your way out. But then watch this next one. Watch this next one. Watch this next one. It is the word tehillah. T-E-H-I-L-L-A-H for my note takers. I'm through. Here's what it means. It means to sing. Now, he said, Bishop, didn't you just tell us that we had an instrument that we could sing an instrument This singing is unique because of what this singing does. Uh, watch this. Psalm 22 and 3. Put it up real quick. Put it up real quick. Put it up real quick. Psalm 22 and 3. Say sing. Say, say it. Say sing. This sing literally means corporate singing. When we sing together. Now, now, now look at this. He says, but you are holy, enthroned in the Tehillah of your people. That's what that word praises right there is, Tehillah. You missed it. But you are holy, distinct. And you sit down in the corporate singing of your people. Some of you saying, Bishop, Bishop, what does it matter? Why does it matter that he sits down in my singing? Because if you know anything about a monarchy, you know that the king, I feel it right here, you understand that a king does not sit on the throne all day. The king only sits on the throne when the king is getting ready to issue a decree or to make a judgment. God, I wish I had somebody here. So when we sing together corporately, even if you don't have a great singing voice, literally we're saying, God, come and sit on the throne and make some decisions about us. Sit on the throne and make some decisions about our families. Sit on the throne and make some decisions about our future. It literally, it literally means, it literally means, but you are enthroned in the corporate singing of your people. And when he sits down, he's sitting down because he's getting ready to make some decisions. That's why I gave you this imagery. What decisions do you need to be made in your favor? Because you've got another way out. There are some judgments where some of you need the judge to go back and reverse the decision. There are some decisions that have been made concerning your credit that some of you need them to go back and look at again. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody. God says, I am enthroned in your corporate singing, which means when you sing together, I sit down and I start making decisions. I start issuing decrees. I start reversing what was declined and approving, and I start... You have nine ways out. Say, I have nine ways out. Can I show you the rest of what happened? I'm done. I really am. It's Palm Sunday, though, so I talk a little longer. So, you know, know, holiday, you know. What's this? What's this? Go to verse 20 in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. I'm through. I just want you to see the rest of what happened. And then I'm probably just going to shout off the stage and so y'all sing or do something. I don't know. What's this? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. You got it? So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. We've seen this part. 
And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe as prophets, and you shall prosper. See, some of you, you're having a difficult time even with what I'm saying today because you're saying, I just don't believe that if I praise God, this battle I won't have to fight. But will you at least believe the part to where if you just believe what I said? Just believe what I said. Just, if you believe what I said, you'll prosper. Now, 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 look at this. Look what he says. Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those that should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people that had an issue with them for no reason. The Lord sent an ambush against all of their generational dysfunction. And the Lord sent an ambush against their past, which was trying to come into their present. Okay, all right. Who had come up against their praise. And they were defeated for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Look at verse 24 because this is where I just might lose it. So when Judah came, so when their praise came to a place where it was overlooking the wilderness. See, when you praise and worship, you ascend to a place to where all of the issues really don't even matter that much anymore. They, overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there, there were dead bodies falling on the earth. Some of you are thinking, but won't this problem come back? Because mm, nobody escaped. God, I wish that. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. It was so much that they spent three days gathering all of the spoil. Some of you said, Bishop, what does that mean for me in my life today? God says, not only would your enemies turn on one another, and an enemy is not just don't look at it as a person. An enemy is anything that opposes your forward progress. See, an enemy can be the way you think. An enemy can be the way you act. An enemy can be the way you talk. He says, not only are they going to destroy one another, but look at what he says. He says, there's going to be so much residual. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you some stuff that you didn't even work for. I'm going to give you some houses you didn't even work to build. I'm going to give you some stuff that you didn't even pay for. I'm going to just call somebody that doesn't even like you to say, here go the keys, take it. I'm going to, God have mercy. I'm going to take somebody. He said, there, there was so much. Verse 26, and on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, which comes from Barak, which comes to the word blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of this place was called Baraka until this day. Then they returned every man of praise and Jerusalem, which Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Somebody said, Bishop, what are you trying to say to me? You're going to look back at your problem. And you're going to say, thank you. You're going to look back at your issue and say, thank you. 
You're going to look back on how those people tried to come against you, and you're going to say, thank you. Had you not come against me, I never would have been able to discover just how blessed I am. See, you don't know how blessed you are until you see the level of your battle. The level of your battle reveals to you the level of the blessing that you walk in and operate in. So if you got some big battles, I got some good news for you. That means God says you've got big blessing that you're walking in. If you got to, who am I talking to? Who's got some big battles in this place? If you got some big battles in this place, God says that's the way you know just how blessed for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. But, but check this out. This isn't the best part. Verse 28. So they can't, y'all okay? <laughs> I'm good. So they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. Notice how when good things happen, they didn't turn on the God that made the good things happen. You got to stop leaving church once you get the job that you pray for. You got to stop leaving church once you get that relationship that you asked for. You got to stop leaving church once things clear up in your mind. You got to stop turning your back on the God that gave you what it is that you're celebrating. Stop turning your back on him. After they had it, they came back to the Lord and they worshiped him. But check out verse 29. Okay, now I'm just, okay, for real, I'm going to just shout right here. And then the fear of God was on all of the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Check it out. How did they know it was God? How did they know that it was God? God says that what I'm getting ready to do with you, I'm going to make it so incredible that even people that don't know me and even people that say they don't believe in me, they will look at you and say there must be a God. He said, <laughs> look at verse 30. Here's what I want to get. And then his entire realm was quiet because God gave him rest. I got an announcement for some of you today. You've been fighting battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. You come out of one to walk in another. You come out of one to walk in another. You come out of one to walk in another. I got an announcement from heaven to make to somebody today. God says, for the next few weeks, I'm going to give you and your realm some rest. There are some battles that God says, I'm going to fight and I'm going to let you rest. You ain't going to be up in the middle of the night about this one. You ain't going to be trying to crunch numbers in the middle of the night about this one. You ain't going to be up trying to figure out how this is going to happen. I'm going to give you rest. Somebody shabak the Lord in this place. Everybody on your feet. Father, we honor you and we bless you. Come on, continue to bless him. Continue to praise him. Continue to worship him. Come on, even on the internet campus, stand up on your feet. If you're watching on your iPad, stand up on your feet. Come on, give God praise and worship in this place. I said give him praise and worship all in this place. And when they began to sing, the Lord said ambushes against their enemy. As we're at harvest today, God is sending some ambushes against the stuff that's coming against you.
I said give him praise and give him worship. I just need my people that will be clamorously foolish to be clamorously foolish and run to this altar. I just need my Hillel people to run to this altar. If you'll say, I'll be clamorously foolish for God today and come and be foolish in your praise and worship. I said, be clamorously foolish. It doesn't make sense, but it works. It doesn't make sense, but it works. It doesn't make sense, but it works. Bow down and worship him. Worship him. It works, y'all. It works. It works. It works. It works. He's at somebody's hospital room right now. Somebody, you've been praying for a relative and they're in the hospital right now. He said, if you'll give him worship here, he'll go there. Oh, worship him. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.